0: on the Apple Podcast app. Thank you. Tom, good morning. and uh, How are you? I'm good, Tom. I'm jealous, though, that you're going away this week and you're going to my favorite place, West Cork. And I wish you good luck. I'm sure you will enjoy yourselves. Um, Thank you. Where are you staying, Tom?
1: We are staying in Baltimore. Uh, we're going to join my daughter and her family down there for a few a few days but yeah, uh yeah. nevertheless a, a big break really
0: oh i know i know there are absolutely lovely places yeah. there my mother was born in the rectory there um you know uh the Shirkin island they're lovely places it's an absolutely beautiful spot i'm sure you'll be very yeah, happy there if, if you have time, uh, you might take a day trip to Castle Townsend. Uh, you know, Somerville and Ross lived there. The Somervilles definitely live. And sometimes I was lucky. I found there, the, the the house that she lived in was open to the public. And it's a magnificent house. It's well worth seeing because it's a very old house that's still with the original furnishing, right, going back to the early 18th century. But um, Edith Somerville's work studio, if you like, is still there exactly as she left it. And it, it really is a time machine. And uh, yeah. it's just very interesting to read a bit about her. And
1: Yeah,
0: of course. Yeah her association with Ross and the books they wrote. Anyway, I'm sure you'll have lots more to do, but that's that could be a day if the weather's not great. But I hope you have a lovely time, Tom. I'm sure you yes, will. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, good man. Well, what are you going to write about this week before you go?
1: Well, I am writing about the Dunengas, ah. that being the boat, the ferry that linked yeah. the city to the Iron Islands. Right. The islands are, of course, an integral part yeah. of our county, but at the same time removed by several miles of seawater. So uh, it was quite important, really, to start up a kind of a ferry service, a steamer service. And that's it began 150 years ago, almost, uh, in 1872. And it was with a paddle steamer uh, called the City of the Tribes. This looked like one of these boats that would be going down the Mississippi, <laughs> you know, big, enormous wheels twisting around. And uh, uh, and it was a lovely looking boat. It was also used, they used it to tow sailing boats, sparks, that kind of thing, uh, in and out of the docks in Galway. Um, nice. It was replaced eventually by uh, a ship called the SS Doris, uh, and this this arrived in 1893. She also towed vessels, but she operated a passenger service for liners as well that were coming into the bay at the time, and also uh, a passenger service to Balivan. now this lovely. is this is the 1890s. Remember? Yes, yes. And from there, you could get a coach service, uh, which connected you with the West Clare Railway in Enniskim, or. You could get a pony and trap, a jaunting car, which would bring you to uh, Listun Varna, which yeah. must have been a very interesting way, if, if a bit uncomfortable, of seeing the Burren when you think of
0: it. And the cliffs. But I wondered
1: be... if, if such a kind of a service existed today.
0: Uh, yeah. Tom, I've, add... Honestly, I've often thought about uh, it. I suppose. Now, they've revived the Aran Ferry out of Galway, I believe, this summer. So it had, than that's it, it and be. that is
1: the reason I thought. Uh, I lovely, lovely. Yeah, out cool. the, yeah. The yeah, uh, the Dunegas was arrived in Galway in, in 1912. This was a single screw uh, vessel with one funnel and a very low freeboard, which f- greatly facilitated loading and unloading from yeah. Corrux. Now remember, yeah. when you got to the islands, there were no piers, so uh, the Corrux came out to meet the ship. At all time and loaded and unloaded. Uh, I'm sure with some great difficulty occasionally, uh, but the Drengeus, <coughs> excuse me, was a very um, interesting ship. She remained at Galway for 46 years. She uh, she was taken the, during the Civil War. She was commandeered by the government forces. Uh, they moved munitions and she was used as a hospital ship. Mm-hmm. She carried uh, a couple of hundred troops from Galway to Clear Castle and on another occasion from Galway down to Foynes. And uh, she also was used uh, on that interesting trip to to ferry several hundred men of the Irish Brigade out to the entrance of the bay where they boarded a ship that took them to Spain to fight in the civil war there. Yeah. So she had a long and very, I mean, she experienced a couple of world wars. She was on the rocks a few times. In 1947, she ran aground at Inishman, and uh, the crew, the 20 passengers, everybody was rescued. The 14 head of cattle that were on board uh, were able to swim ashore. But this created major difficulties for farmers on the islands because had a lot of cattle waiting to go into Galway for the May Fair, and there was no other vessel at the time capable of carrying their uh, cattle. So it created an economic problem instantly, Uh, and it pointed up of course the importance, I suppose, of the service to and from the islands. But anyway, the Dunangas was salvaged, and and then she was replaced during the 50s, sorry, Initially, when uh, she was undergoing her annual maintenance, etc., <clears throat> uh, there were a couple of small fishing vessels, the Ross, Brazil and the Nambro. They used to take over the kind of ferrying um, of people and passengers and goods to and from the islands. Uh, anyway, the Niveena arrived then in 1958. And she was replaced in 1971 by the Galway Bay, which was the biggest boat so far or ship so far uh, on this route. Yeah. She carried in uh, Ridgeway and Blythe. They were the two Englishmen. I remember. If you remember yeah. the
0: first men to ever row the Atlantic. They rowed to the Atlantic and arrived on Inishman. Imagine.
1: Yes, in a, a in a boat called the English Rose. So yeah. the last leg of their journey was, in fact, on the Galway Bay.
0: Oh, oh. Um, yeah. Anyway, the um, Ben uh, Tom, I think that's such a good idea, and you're right to say this about, you know, the lack of the. Using the bay, exploiting the bay for our visitors. I mean, certainly there should be day trips, say, to Canvara. There should be day trips, you know, to Listun Varna, as you say. Certainly to go go out from Galway to see the cliffs of Moher. You know, you don't have to yeah. be just go to Aran Islands. Uh, sure. Well, in you fact,
1: the new I am interrupting you there, Ronnie, because yeah, I do. this new boat, which is called Searsha Lafariga, by the way. Yes. Um, <coughs> That not only visits the islands, but also brings you back via the Cliffs of Moho. Oh, so it's it's obviously a much bigger boat. You can take yeah. 400 passengers. Yeah. It yeah. Uh, is much speedier, but you can do a round trip in it. And I suspect yeah. it's going to be a very interesting way for a lot of Galwegians to see a lot of their native county from yeah. a completely different angle yeah. and different way.
0: Oh, that's and, cool. uh, Yeah.
1: Sounds very exciting to me.
0: Absolutely, Tom. God, that's brilliant. Yeah. Well, of course, I was familiar with the Nivania. That's the one that I remember going out to the Iron Islands with. And then, of course, recent years going out from Rossaville, which is a very short trip, and you don't really get the feel of it. You know, it's, you know, get your sea legs, should I say, and you're there. Yeah, but that's, that's right like yes
1: yeah. i mean we haven't had it must be nearly 20 years since yeah boats have gone out from the city
0: I'm delighted uh, to the, do, the yeah.
1: island the, the Rossville yeah. boats will still be
0: sure working. of course oh yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah
1: but anyway i think that uh this service is yeah. really terrific this new service and very yeah. exciting
0: i think the so for is- that reason i thought
1: yeah. i would put in a Photograph of the good old Dunangus.
0: I think the Rosseville is very suitable for the islanders themselves, you know, that they yes. can quickly come in and then they get the minibus into town, get their business done and go home again, all in a, you know, yeah. a, exactly. a certain period of time that suits busy people. I understand that totally. Yeah. Okay. I remember, do you remember the Late Late Show years ago, Gabe Byrne was the the host, and um, they were talking about a flying service to the Aran Islands. And there was a lot of Galway people involved in that. Uh, There was Mr. Jimmy Cohen, was it? And there was, anyway, there were several people involved. James Codd, well, a great man entirely, James Codd and others. But, um, oh, and there was wailing and gnashing of teeth from the Dubliners in the audience. And, oh, you'll ruin the Aran Islands. They'll be ruined. You'll have planes going backwards and forwards. <laughs> and luckily, as Gay always did, he had his audience primed with the few Aran Islanders sitting in there and sitting. What are you talking about? We need emergency services. You know, we need yeah, to come in yes. and we do our business or get a train. Yeah. You know, don't be staffed lamenting that. And of yeah. course, they were absolutely right. The air service has been a boon to the islands and a boon oh, yeah. to islanders themselves, you know, particularly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Well, actually, Tom, I'm I'm actually starting, well, not quite starting, but I'm on a boat myself. This week, um, if you could imagine in the late 19th century, you know, going one direction uh, from Ireland and Europe generally towards America, all the boats filled with immigrants. But coming the other way from New York, say, to um, the Isle of Wight, the Isle of Wight for the uh, Great Regatta there, it was an American yacht and it was... uh, A a Mr. Jerome, a very wealthy uh, financial uh, gentleman from New York and bringing his daughters, three daughters, over to the the cow's week in the Isle of Wight. And so, you know, it's just strange to think that you had immigrant boats going one way, but a luxury private yacht going the other way with the full crew and the wonderful (coughs) Jerome sisters. Now, the Jerome sisters were really exceptionally talented uh, and good looking young ladies. They were also very well educated and they could speak fluent French, they could play the piano, they could sing, they could talk, they could hold their own in any company, they could even talk politics, which girls in that Edwardian times didn't really. England was full of very nice girls who were well brought up, but were quite quiet and demure. I'm sure not all of them were, but generally speaking, they were, and they were looking for good husbands. But in comes the Jerome sisters. And of course, they swept all before them. And at Cow's Regatta, you could have the king and certainly the great landowners and earls and dupes there, absolutely bowled over by these wonderful girls. And they were expected to marry well, and indeed they did. And you'll recall some of their names when I tell you again. Jenny, the eldest girl, she swept Lord Randolph Churchill off his feet, married him, and uh, their eldest son, of course, was Winston, uh, Winston Churchill. The second sister, uh, Leonie, married Sir John Leslie of Castle Leslie, County Monaghan. And previously, the youngest girl, Clara, had already married uh, a man called uh, Hugh Morton Fruin, who had large properties in Ireland and in England. He inherited a lot of money and he had a very large estate near Clifton. And he used to entertain lavishly there in Munga, Munga Lodge. And it was just outside Clifton. And back to the train again, just briefly, <laughs> he would bring his friends over from London and they would slow down and stop. So uh, his friends could alight from the train there and he'd welcome them to Munga Lodge. And they had a great time uh, celebrating, hunting and enjoying the Irish scenery and whatever else they did. Um, So I'm really going to concentrate on Hugh Morton-Fruin and his daughter, who I'll come to in a moment. Hugh Morton-Fruin was really a madman, really, Uh, a man with far too much money, more money than sense. And uh, he was charming, totally financially incompetent. And you won't believe this. Well, you might believe this, but unbelievably, he put all his fortune, every penny on his on the Doncaster Cup, and he just announced to everybody that if I win this race, I will retire from life in Clifton, I will become master of the hounds in Kilkenny, and I shall live a contented life. If I lose my money, I shall have to think of something else. And of course, he lost all his money, but he wasn't too worried about that. Um, He persuaded his brother, who still had his inheritance, to join him on a mad trip to the Wild West, to Wyoming, where cattle prices were going through the roof. And these two brothers set off and uh, They just lost themselves in a fantasy world of cowboys fighting rustlers. Oh, yes. They opened the biggest ranch, uh, a ranch called the 76 Outfit. And um, they just lived this life of fantasy, uh, hunting and shooting buffalo, uh, fierce gun battles with cattle rustlers and new homesteaders that was trying to get them to keep their cattle under corral in some way, but no, they let the cattle go free to feast on the wonderful, rich prairie lands of Wyoming. And then with 70 cowboy hands employed, enjoyed long cattle drives into Omaha to send their cattle to Chicago to be butchered. And this wonderful life continued. And they were as happy as anything until, until the big freeze up in the winter of 1886, 87, all their cattle died. So (laughs) absolutely, facing ruin yet again. But our friend Hugh was not that disappointed. He went went to New York hoping to raise money. He was a very charming man. He had no trouble in raising money. But he somehow introduced to Mr. Leonard Jerome, the wealthy man who sails this yacht. And uh, the minute he walked into the room, his youngest daughter, Clara, falls head over heels in love with them and he is Hugh Morton Froon is suntanned he's lean he has wonderful stories about the wild west and you know this is the end of the 19th century when people who lived in New York were, you know were were really quite excited about the wild west but still would prefer to stay in New York than to face all the hardships that were out there and Uh, Mrs. Uh, Jerome was very upset because she'd hoped her daughter would marry uh, somebody much more suitable than this obviously wild man. But nevertheless, she had to admit he was charming. And so they married and he brought poor, poor Clara uh, off after their famous visit to, to the UK off to uh, the wild west and the poor girl, <laughs> she she had a tough old time because not only was there an endless train journey but then there was a 90 mile trip in a in a in a the deadwood stage and she was sitting in beside a, a, a chef a, a cook And, uh, you know, it wasn't quite the company she was used to. But nevertheless, (laughs) she did her best. And they were met eventually in Wyoming by the cowboys that worked on the ranch, yahooing and whooping with joy. And off they went to live in this wild west. But anyway, I I don't go into too much. She she couldn't stand it. And after a while, the poor girl lost her first baby. She came back to New York. And there, uh, Hugh Fruin... Uh Hugh Morton Fruin met her again, and off they went to his house in West Corp, in a Shannon. You'll be passing it on your way down. And yes, there she lived, and they had three children. And one of the uh, children was a daughter, uh, Cons- Claire Consuelo Fruin, better known in Galway as the sculptor and um Artist Claire Sheridan. Yes. And I will try and tell Claire Sheridan's story in the following weeks. But I got so carried away with Hugh Morton Fruin and his wonderful adventures and his Galway connections that I had to stay some time with him. So, yeah, that's Indeed. what I thought.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, Claire, Claire Sheridan used to pop into my mother and she would say, Maureen, I am going uptown to do the shopping. You put the kettle on, and on my way back, I will pop in with all the scandal. And the two (laughs) of them would sit down, to cups of tea, and I don't remember any of the scandal, but I certainly Mm. remember them sitting down with their tea. A very eccentric lady, the subject of an outstanding book by her cousin, Anita Leslie, uh, who came from Castle Leslie, obviously. And um, she was wonderful.
0: Yeah, actually, your your mum did tell me about her as well, and I've always been impressed. And she lived at in um, in uh, Spanish Arch House, sometimes known as Comfort House, Spanish Arch House. Yeah. So she was very much part of the city, and uh, as you say, a great character. But not to be dismissed as a kind of an eccentric person, even though she was that, she was an amazing woman in the sense that she started to value the stones that were part of 16th century Galway and the Atai doorway and things like that, she was the first person to recognize because she was a sculptor, a stone sculptor. uh, She was the first person to recognize, these stones are magnificent. You know, there was all those stone carvings of filigree. I mean, the most delicate, delicate stonework ever. And so she began to collect those and those are still... uh, in in her collection which is in the archway beside the spanish arch if you know what i mean it's it's gated and closed but um is, yeah. i i yeah. was speaking to etna verling recently and i'm glad to say there's very exciting plans for the museum they're going to build a three-story building um in, in a kind of a if you go down there inside the wall between the inside of the wall and the museum as it is at the moment, incorporating Spanish Arch House. So it's going to be hugely extended and rightly so, I think. And it'll be a wonderful, wonderful attraction. For those visitors uh, that have come here, and it rains, it does rain in in Galway on occasions, but also for local people. I think we've all got a great interest in our history. And I think when it's properly presented, as it is already, but it will be even to a larger extent in the new buildings, we will be delighted and rejoice in how rich Galway was in its stonework, you know.
1: Indeed. yeah. Indeed.
0: Okay, Tom. Well, I'm very happy with what you're doing and i'm I'm not so jealous now you're going away. I'm glad you're going away because I know you'll enjoy West Cork.
1: Well, I will talk to you next week with the cork. excellent
0: you will indeed, I know that you know the Cork accent is so funny in Cork City, you sometimes wonder, are they putting it on but then, yes, indeed they're not, and <laughs> they <laughs>
1: think they the same them, of us
0: yeah, they probably do yeah, they do indeed, but the English yeah. market. You know, that, that so enchanted the Queen of England when she came there, uh, you know, is, is an absolute gem. There's no question, an Irish gem. Anyway, Tom, listen, good luck. Enjoy the holiday. Until
1: uh, next week, Ronnie. Yeah. You
0: betcha, Tom. Take care. Yeah. Bye-bye. Yeah.
1: God bless.